This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning. And uh, those of you who come from outside of Green Gulch, it's so nice to see you. I hope you're happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Thank you. And for those of you online, good morning. So the, the talk, or what I want to talk with you about today is uh, rest, rest and relaxation. How does that sound? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And the uh, theme in preparing for the talk, usually in the weeks, couple weeks before the talk is to happen, I things come forth and speak to me. Uh, other Dharma talks, something on the radio, what a friend uh, sends me, sometimes dreams, uh, sometimes questions. So this talk really flowed from a number of, of questions and themes around rest and relaxation and very synchronistically. Uh, it, it came up again yesterday in a doksan with someone, uh, the importance of rest and relaxation. So I feel like it's a kind of a really important uh, part of our practice that perhaps gets skipped over and not talked about that much. And I want to do it justice, uh, or, uh, but I won't get to the bottom of it. There's, there's really a lot there. But I wanted to start with two stories from our, uh, uh, from the Buddha, one from the Buddha, and one story about Suzuki Roshi that I heard. So the story about the Buddha is, the Buddha had back trouble. I don't know if you know this. He had different pains in his back, had to take care of it during his lifetime. And one day he was lying down, and it was like the middle of the day, like, you know, noontime or something. And Mara, this is, uh, Mara is a kind of uh, archetype of Mara is often called the evil one. Mara is the evil one. But also Mara is like a kind of a noble um, a friend who brings up difficult things and tries to urge the Buddha in one way, which forces him in another way, or allows him to strengthen and go another way. Anyway, we know the story about Mara with the Buddha under the Bodhi tree, but this is another story. So Mara comes along 
Aunt says, sees the Buddha lying there. What are you doing lying there? The sun is high. Are you, you know, you should be out on alms rounds or teaching or doing something there. You are gold bricking. I don't think, Mar I don't know if Mara said gold bricking, but just the sun is high. What do you think you are? And the Buddha said, the gist of what the Buddha said was, out of compassion for the many, I take my rest. Out of compassion for the many, I take my rest. So this is, this is, this is from the Pali Canon. It's a very 2,500-year-old story, uh, or at least teaching story that's been handed down, which points to combining compassion, compassion practices, taking care of others, and taking care of self as inextricably, as the same thing, really. Out of compassion for the many, I take my rest. So you can imagine if the Buddha didn't rest and was maybe hurting himself by trying to continue certain kinds of practices or walking around or I don't know, I, I even maybe teaching that he could have damaged himself further or not been able to respond fully with a soft and flexible mind because he needed to rest. So that's the first story. And I, I find that um, uh, there's a way in which one might have a misunderstanding of our practice and think rest is like lower, lower down on the importance list uh, because we've got to, you know, really make effort, which we do. And I'll come to this a little later, how effort and rest are also inextricably together. The other story is a story about Suzuki Roshi, which um, uh, I I wasn't there, so I end up telling it with my own embellishments. Uh, this is uh, a story where uh, Suzuki Roshi was working at Tasahara in the a garden that he created, the rock garden, with a um, couple, I'm not sure, two or three maybe, of his disciples who were young, or in their 20s probably, strong male, identified as male, um, students who were helping him. This is how I understand the story. And, and they worked in the hot sun, moving boulders and large rocks all day. And by the end of the day, Suzuki Roshi seemed to have energy, was perky, and the guides, the students, were kind of wiped out. You know, they'd been working on this all day in the sun. And one of them said to Suzuki Roshi, how come we're so much younger than you and um, and we're so wiped out, and you seem to have a lot of energy after working all day like this. 
And Suzuki Roshi said, or I heard that he said, I rest in each moment. I rest in each moment. So that's that's been a, a teaching story for me, a koan in some ways. What what does it mean to be resting while fully exerting? Aren't those um, isn't that an oxymoron or something? But actually, full exertion and relaxed and a resting, relaxed body, body body-mind, go together. (laughs) I I remember I was at a uh, party in college, this is a long time ago, uh, maybe in um, 1967, and this group of people was sitting around, and one person said, relax to me. And another person said, she's relaxed. And I remember thinking, am I relaxed? <laughs> am I not relaxed? How would I know? I, I didn't feel tense, but why did that person say relax? What? And right now, am I relaxed? You know, I have certain physical uh, signs like my cheeks are really red, and but I, I don't feel tense. But am I completely relaxed? That's a question. And of course, if if someone says relax, it's very hard to relax. <laughs> So rest and relaxation are part of our practice of great compassion. And in particular, uh, I wanted to say something about the practices called paramitas, uh, the six perfections, which are giving or generosity, morality or ethics, uh, patience. And the fourth one is called sometimes heroic enthusiasm or heroic effort or joyous effort. And there's a uh, text uh, written in the 8th century by a monk, a very, very strong practitioner named Shanti Deva, who wrote this work called Guide to a Bodhisattva's Way of Life. And it's all in verse except for the last chapter, which is prose. And he takes up each of the perfections. And when he's talking about joyous effort, he brings up the importance of rest. And and in the commentary on this, this rest is called the power of rest. So in the paramita of enthusiasm or joyous effort, there's ways in which there are powerful practices to support that. One is your aspiration, coming back to your aspiration to live for the benefit of others, your bodhisattva vow, bodhicitta. 
another is steadfastness, staying with your practice continually over time. The third power that supports joyous effort is rest. So rest <clears throat> means, uh, in terms of what Shanti Davis says, and I'll, I'll read the first. Um, the verse of Shanti Deva, sorry for rustling through these papers, is this is Shanti Deva. If I become weak or tired, I should stop what I'm doing and continue with it once I have rested. Very simple. And part of that also is not being attached to what we do, which is one of the reasons sometimes we don't rest, because um, we're caught up or attached to accomplishing and attaining and maybe um, expectation of gain. So we, we keep going beyond when we should <coughs> stop or when we're tired or exhausted. So the second part of this verse is, when I have done something well, I should not be attached, but move on to what needs to be done, meaning what's the next thing. So this, this is how we maintain and continue our practice over years and years and years without burnout, without exhausting ourselves, which, you know, and then we do this mudra, and we can have it. We can't do this anymore. We have to have rest woven in. So yesterday uh, we had a one-day sitting here at Green Gulch, and we used to say on the schedule there'd be, you know, like after a meal, we used to have on the schedule in years gone by break, like a break, which is often what we call at work. We say, I'm going to take a break, a break from work. I'm going to cut that and do something else. But now, and for years actually, we've written at that place on the schedule, rest. Hmm. So after our meals and after tea, rest. So rest isn't a break from our practice or from our one-day sitting. Rest is the practice of rest. And that might be different for different people. For someone it might be strolling down to the garden and back. For someone else it might be uh, lying down, taking uh, a cat nap or taking a nap or doing a, a restorative yoga pose or for one day sitting I'm thinking these are possible rest practices. And yesterday sitting together for the you know five in the morning till six I had the sense of what a radical rare an amazing 
wonderful practice that is to take a full day to not be productive, to not be accomplishing, to not do our to-do list and, and, and get all that stuff done. And it, it, it's a day to uh, practice the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. Now in our instructions for Sasen, the universal instructions for Zazen, there's a section where it says, this is Dogen Zenjir, ancestors' instructions for Zazen, or admonitions actually, uh, after he's described certain things, he says, uh, the Zazen I speak of is not learning meditation, it is simply the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. The Dharma gate of repose and bliss. And this was one of the things that sparked me wanting to talk about this. Someone told me that they were asked this question about that line in the Universal Admonitions where it says, the Zazen I speak is speak of as not learning meditation, it's simply the Dharma gate of repose and bliss. And the student said, but I, I'm not in repose and I'm not in bliss and, uh, or ease and joy, that's another translation of those two characters. I think they're An and Raku, ease and bliss or joy and bliss. And they said, that's not my zazen. So what is our zazen, which is the dharma gate of repose and bliss. It's not the dharma gate of accomplishing stuff and getting stuff and achieving and attaining stuff. It's the gate of repose and bliss, which is the practice realization of totally culminated enlightenment that's the second, the next line. And in hearing those words, whether, you know, for me it's whether um, coming to sit on my cushion for one day sitting, whether I actually experience my idea of repose and bliss or not, still this teaching that just sitting taking our seat, sitting upright without grasping after things, without pushing things away, that right there is the uh, reality of our, exist of our existence. And whether and, and we can't grasp it. We want to, but I want to have that experience of repose and bliss, whatever that is. But to step back and whether we know it or not, actually knowing that it's maybe imperceptible. We can't perceive it, but that's, that's what the teaching is. There's a kind of, when I hear that, 
I feel like, um, just like in the admonitions, my shoulders drop away from my ears. Ah. In a, another text I've been studying at Tenchen, with Tenchen Roshi's senior seminar group, we came upon, this is what I mean about synchronicity, came upon this same phrase about uh, repose and bliss, which had to do with the Buddhas um, waking up under the Bodhi tree and waking up to, uh, you know, the marvelous wondrousness of his verifying and realizing the truth of not only his existence, but all of our existence and the great earth. And nothing's left out. This is the repose and bliss. Uh, sometimes that those characters are said to mean nirvana itself. Peace, letting go of grasping because there is nothing to grasp. Uh, Dogen, as I said, um, offered to us these admonitions, the Fukan Sazangian in another Dharma talk, he said, just resting is like the great ocean accepting hundreds of streams arriving here. There is no forward or backward. Just resting is like the great ocean accepting. So this is this is a quote from another Zen master that Dogen pulls from, the Zen master Hongjur. So this just resting, and I picture that, just sitting, just practicing sazen and allowing the myriad streams of whatever arises. The ocean doesn't reject anything. Hundreds of streams arriving here no forward or backward. So, uh, there's two other things I want to bring up with you. Um, check. And I'm going to start with, uh, of these two things, uh, something that also came to my attention just last week. And it was a, a friend and student told me about a podcast that she had listened to at a time when she was feeling exhausted just uh, with work and a non-stop kind of schedule that um, just didn't quit and and also not feeling so well and and this was um, 
an interview with a woman named Trisha Hersey. Now, maybe some of you know her. I, I know one person um, has, is reading her book, and she um, she's an African American woman who was in a divinity school program, had a son that she was caring for. I think he was maybe in grade school, working two or three jobs, taking like three buses to get to school. She had a job working at school, then studied, studied, studied classes in the library till late, three buses back, and home at midnight and wake up and start all over again. And this was going on week after week after week. And she felt, and, and this kind of amazing thing flowed from her, that she was um, damaging herself, living this way. It, it, it wasn't sustainable. And not only that, it was going, it was, it, it, it was killing her. It was unhealthy. And she had a kind of insight, insight into, uh, and this is in particular about uh, African-American people, the, um, the way the bodies were used, have been used over the centuries for work and productivity with no considerations for the preciousness of this human body and the care. And she was doing research at that time on reading enslaved uh, people's narratives and so forth. And she, out of this, made this turn and decided that she was going to rest. She was going to find a way. And she started napping at different times, on a couch, in a chair, closing her eyes, resting at home. And out of this came what she calls the um, NAP Ministry. You can look it up, napministry.com. And she calls herself the NAP Bishop. And it, you know, as I say it, it sounds um, it might sound um, casual or something, or isn't that how adorable or something. This is a serious, serious practice, and her book is called Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto. And it's a resistance to our culture, uh, which she calls the grind culture, which we're all familiar with, we've all internalized it, get things done, do as much as we can, produce, don't take breaks, um, guilty if we do, take our full vacation, um, go to work if we're sick. She tells a story in the book of being in a car accident and being in the emergency room and calling into work and her boss saying, 
don't you think you could come in and put, put, put in a few hours, you know? And realizing the, the uh, damage, you know, this way of thinking and living has brought to millions of people, and it's, it's universal, really, in certain cultures. I would say our uh, uh, capitalistic, profit-making culture, the dominant white culture has certain, you know, if you study it, there's certain uh, earmarks, maybe. So she invites everyone, and I'm continuing to read her book, to kind of uh, resist as, as a form of uh, taking a stand for your own care and life and uh, health. And, you know, when we're exhausted, when we're depleted, it is much harder to respond with kindness and compassion, to be able to even listen. Uh, you know, our, we have a short fuse, maybe. Uh, so this, these practices of rest and relaxation is not a kind of self-serving, it, it, it does serve this body-mind and this person. However, that's not, it doesn't end there. It's for the sake, out of compassion for the many, I take my rest. To have this be part of our practice and let go of a kind of, um, for me anyway, I should say, uh, kind of a misunderstanding, really, I remember being at Tassar, being on a serving crew, serving the Oriyoki meal for a sashin, and the, one of the people on the crew after we were done said, I'm not going to take my break, I'm going to go right back to the zendo. What about you? <laughs> and I thought, well, gee, I, wanted, I kind of wanted to take my break, but maybe real students don't take their breaks, they go right back to the zendo. <laughs> but I, I really want And I, I got confused. And I took my break, but then I thought, well, maybe that, that proves it. I'm not, I don't have what it takes. Because if I had what it takes, I would like pound my bones, you know, to powder and, and or something. We have these images and phrases even in, in Zen, which is why I want to bring up rest and relaxation is there too. So, Trisha Hersey, if you want to look it up. And it's, um, you know, there's all sorts of things that come up, like, what about making a living? I can't, if I don't show up to work, I'm going to be fired, right? I mean, there's all these stories of workers, like in service industry and um, hotels and things where they take lots of ibuprofen and stuff to their, for their backs because they cannot miss work. They have to keep working. Um, that mentality, and so this, having this one day sitting yesterday, I felt it as, you know, t 
turning the, turning the tide the other way, to take that kind of time to practice in this way for the sake of the world and to help others to be able to do that as well. The, the last thing I wanted to bring up with you is a poem um, written by one of our ancestors that uh, we recite when we list the ancestors um, in morning service, the male ancestors, male identified ancestors. Um, the um, uh, ancestor Sekito Kisen Daiyosho, who wrote the Sandokai, wrote the Harmony of Difference and Equality. That poem we know and chant uh, regularly, once a week in either Japanese or English, and for Suzuki Roshi Memorial. And it teaches, it's, you know, the deep teaching of, of, of our school, you might say, of Soto Zen and of Buddha Dharma. And he also wrote another poem, which I haven't studied this poem deeply, but I've loved it, and I've loved it over the years. And it came to me in this, as I said, these last couple weeks, because I was turning rest and relaxation. Because in this poem, our dear ancestor Sekitoki Sen Shirto. Shirto Shi Chan, Chinese, who, who lived 700 to 790. And I thought, when I looked at those dates, Shanti Deva was 8th century, isn't 8th century too? Isn't the 700s the 8th century? And I thought, how great Shanti Deva, guide to Bodhisattva's way of life. And Sekito Kisen, one of our I think of him as a grandfather, we lived at the same time in India and China. Anyway, the, this poem that he wrote, it's a little bit long, but I'm going to just read excerpts. It's called Song of the Grass Roof Hermitage. And it starts out, I've built a grass hut where there's nothing of value. After eating, I relax and enjoy a nap. That particular, <laughs> that's how it starts off. Just picture that. And he did, he lived in a little hut. He, this is um, not just um, a reverie. He, and, and taught there. I built a grass, a grass hut where there's nothing of value. After eating, after eating, I relax and enjoy a nap. I highly recommend this. You know, sometimes we say, oh, I'm going to relax, and we take out our phone and do all the stuff we do. Or another screen. This, you know, the you know, amazingly smart minds of this century have gone come together to work out ways that you will not put that phone down, you know, so that you'll keep going. And, and even fool yourself to say, oh, I rested, when actually 
all sorts of other things are going on. And I know for young girls in particular, um, you know, after watching Instagram and different things, they feel worse about themselves and depressed. And you know, these, and still, even knowing that, continue and go back, which is kind of the definition of addiction, right? Continuing to do something that we know is not beneficial for us. So, you know, just uh, after eating, I relax and enjoy a nap. Uh, then there's, it's a wonderful poem. When it was completed, fresh weeds appeared. Now it's been lived in, covered by weeds. The person in the hut lives here calmly, not stuck to inside, outside, or in between. Places world, worldly people live, he doesn't live, he's talking about himself. Realms worldly people love, he doesn't love. Though the hut is small, it includes the entire world. That is, uh, uh, I would say, is that's not um, hyperbole or image, just metaphor or image. It includes the entire world, just like when you sit on your seat, the entire world is there. And you're sitting with the entire world. You're not sitting with, your sitting is the entire world. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Just sitting with head covered. It's interesting because with our windows open, we've been wearing head coverings. And in that hut, it's chilly. And Bodhidharma also, you see him, he had kind of a, you know, something to cover the head and the ears when it gets chilly, windy. Just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. Thus, this mountain monk doesn't understand at all. Living here, he no longer works to get free. That also, that line, it's like, ah, dropping the shoulders, no longer working to get free in a particular way. Not that joyous effort is left behind. Full-on joyous effort. But a kind of, ah, let, me, let me out of here. Freedom. Kind of misunderstanding. <clears throat> I'm going to just skip down to this last part. Turn around the light to shine within, then just return. The vast, inconceivable source can't be faced or turned away from. 
It's you. Meet the ancestral teachers. Be familiar with their instructions. Bind grasses to build a hut. And don't give up. Let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. Open your hands and walk innocent. Thousands of words, myriad interpretations are only to free you from obstructions. read the last line, which is my least favorite line. <laughs> if you want to know the undying person in the hut, don't separate from this skin bag here and now. <laughs> I find unpleasant associations arise with that line, with that auditory hearing it or reading it. Um, but that's what it is, right? <laughs> so, get used to it. <laughs> ah. So, I think that is what I wanted to offer today with a wish for us to um, include rest as one of our main practices not as a, maybe if I get to it, or uh, being embarrassed or guilty that we're trying to find the time to rest, but have it really just woven into our daily life and practice for the sake of, and for compassion for the many we practice like that. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.